0: This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? The sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series, or in this case, TV series, one movie or season at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick what's up man it's been a very long time
1: <laughs> yeah when you listen to the, like the past three episodes this is like the first comment uh and i feel guilty because it's almost always because of me you should but uh yeah <laughs> it's been a bit but uh i'm looking forward to getting back into story it's, it's so weird we were in star wars for so long and now it feels so long ago
0: well what, what did we do we did we took a break to catch up no we do this was the mcu we the yeah, MCU, well, yeah, we, we've had it was, it was, it was forever ago, yeah. years and years and years. That's going back to I think because I think we did a Last Jedi mini-sode, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> in the middle of that run, or was it a, maybe it was a it was a Last Jedi and a Solo minisode. It's so, like that was at least two years ago. Um, yeah, but so we are uh, back in Star Wars. We finally finished up the uh, the Terminator episode of <laughs> I mean, the Terminator series with Dark Fate. It, that that it started very strong yes, and then there's a literally. lot of episodes where like ah, it, was, it, was, it was okay it was okay <laughs> and some a bit worse than that yeah so it's good to be back talking about something that i actually really like um and we, so we're gonna play catch up for a bit we've had some uh star wars and marvel and i, I honestly i'm not sure how we're gonna handle there are this is like 10 like (laughs) Star Wars and Marvel properties coming out this year, and like, that's not going to be the norm. I know you know, COVID pushed back a whole bunch of stuff, and they kind of have to just like stack it up, but (laughs) I don't know how how we're going to do it because we've got so we got Mandalorian, then it'll be WandaVision, and I'm guessing either we'll do an episode on Falcon and the Winter Soldier or do another series and then catch up with that. But by that time, you'll have Loki and Bad Batch, and (sighs) we're never getting out of Star Wars and Marvel, never. But yeah, here we're talking about um the first half of Mandalorian season 2 and next in next episode we'll get to the the last four episodes. Um and I didn't ask people what they thought about it uh, and I feel really bad about that we we'll never know. Yes, we'll never know. All right, um so just let's just move right into uh the behind the scenes. There really isn't all that much available. They they they're very tight-lipped. Aside from like the uh you know the Disney Gallery thing they put out, they're very tight-lipped about production details like I don't even they don't even give out casting casting uh notices until pretty much the episode airs. So back back going back a year ago just before season 1 aired or a year and a half ago now, uh Favreau had said that he was already writing on season 2 um and they jumped they had to jump uh directly into production after the first season aired because this thing came out. <laughs> exactly one year later so again uh favreau wrote most of the episodes himself and again the only episodes not written by him were written by either dave filoni or rick famiua in this in this season with one episode apiece i just realized you have to have an f you know at the beginning of your last name to write on the mandalorian
1: Mm. that's how
0: it works apparently
1: i can never make it
0: and they they used a kind of a lot of the same technology with the volume and the project the, the led screens around them instead of green screen uh this what they said they had a, a much bigger volume this time around. Uh, Bas Idowin, who last episode, last time when we talked about season one, I know I called him Bas Iodine for the entire episode. I don't know why I must have like dyslexically misread his name, but it's, it's Idowin or something like that. Uh, and I apologize. <laughs> Man. uh he's, he's the director for photog- he's like the main director of photography um he said like the one they were using this season was like a, a hundred feet across this massive thing and they were they were shooting two full units at a time i don't know if that was the entire shoot but at least sometimes they would have different episodes shoot at the same time which isn't normally how tv seasons are done and i'm assuming that would have also been with the second unit happening uh this season they had a sam hargrave was the second unit director um if you don't know him he was the uh, he directed the chris hemsworth netflix movie extraction he was also the uh, stunt coordinator and second director on all of the Russo brothers MCU films, so he's he's good at action. He was the second unit director uh, for this season, and of course uh, Ludwig Göransson uh, returned uh, to provide the music for the show. So uh, let's just move into the first episode, the first episode, uh, chapter nine, "The Marshal," and all of all four episodes that we'll talk about today were directed by John Favreau. Or not directed, were written by John Favreau, um, but this one was directed by John Favreau. So there's that. Uh, this is his first time directing an episode, uh, despite producing and showrunning and writing all but two of the first uh, two of the episodes of the first season. He's uh, very involved, but had not yet directed. This one was shot by Baz Idowan. Greg Fraser was probably too busy shooting Dune and the Batman to return. Uh, I- Idowin seems to have taken over as the primary DP for the show uh, since he's gone off and done cool things. In this episode, you have the guest stars uh, John Leguizamo as the voice the voice of Gore Koresh, Amos Sedaris returns as Pelimato. Timothy Elephant, yes, please. Uh, he, he's as uh, Cobb Vanth. Um, w. Earl Brown as the Weekway bartender. I know him as uh, he's the cameraman in Scream, uh, who gets very sadly off towards the end. <laughs> Um, but he's, he's been around in a lot of things. And at the very end, we have a t- uh, the triumphant return of Tamora Morrison uh, to the Star Wars Galaxy. Uh, this time playing Boba Fett, which he hasn't played before. Previously, he played uh, Jango Fett. Uh, and also various clones. Or at least the hit.
1: Well, he voiced him in Empire. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he, did do, he came back and recorded that. Yeah. Well, then never mind. So in this episode, uh, Mando searches for more Mandalorians in hopes that they can lead him to a Jedi to help train Baby Yoda. He goes to Tatooine, uh, where he finds a town marshal wearing Boba Fett's armor. He and the marshal make a deal uh, with uh, to trade the armor for help in killing a crate dragon that has been plaguing the town. They team up with some local Tusken raiders, and after an epic fight, they kill the sucker, and um, Mando rides off into the sunset, the proud owner of a second set of beskar armor and we get a shot of tomorrow morrison looking very very badass against the sunset. Mm. So James, what do you think of the season 2 premiere?
1: So I really like it. Uh it's it really really embraces the western vibe of the show, maybe more so than any other uh episode so far. I've
0: there was the gunslinger. That was pretty western.
1: Yeah. But I don't know. I th- there's just something about that, like, what you, you've got the little bitty, the, you know, the little stores on either side. The town is just a singular lane. It's, it's just uh-huh. it's,
0: the sl- the slow the slow shot of him riding into town. People looking up yeah. as he slowly rides by with the music going.
1: The 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 Native American parallels with the Tusken Raiders have never been stronger.
0: Mm-hmm. Has that something that was even ever made before the Mandalorian? Like I feel like that kind of happened with, you know, season one in the gunslinger episode. And then they, they really continue to play on that.
1: It's I don't I don't know if I would have ever thought it before now. What I like with what they're doing with it though is I don't I don't feel like this feels like any sort of retcon. Like I, yeah. I can I can project this kind of idea of them onto the previous appearances and it still kind of works.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I thought this was a very good episode. I, I, the, the, the the crazy thing about this show is, like, I love it. And also, there are just some things that drive me absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and Just not helped by the whole contingent of, you know, this is our Star Wars. This is what Star Wars should be, not the sequels. And so that makes me, always makes me a little prickly about this show. But I do love it. And I think this episode is a lot of fun and, you know, kind of. You know, uh, it, it really symbolizes what I love about this show. And just, you know, it's just Mando. Well, for the most part, it, it, it does have, you know, it's story episodes as well. But the thing, the episodes I really like the most, I think, are just Mando doing, you know, cool, often Western tinged things in Star Wars. And there's also, oh, look at crate Dragon. and <laughs> you know, It's just, it's just a lot of fun. So just going through, um... The episode, I, I, am actually not a huge fan of like the first scene. I find this kind of gets to my, some of my criticisms, and I'm, I'm just gonna get this out of the way. I, I, I also said this in the last episode, but I gotta say it again. I don't like the visual style that John Favreau. I'm assuming he, him as the, as the showrunner and being the actual live action director uh, set for the show, in just the kind of low tech handheld multi-cam setup that a lot of this I, I just I don't like that style in Star Wars and I particularly don't like it when the less experienced filmmakers use it if and, and but in this case this is John Favre he's not he's not an experienced but this the first you know 10 minutes where, where they're on that planet with John Leguizamo it just doesn't it doesn't look good Like the lighting does, the lighting is just super drab and and not terribly intentional looking, and the the shot, none of the shots feel like they have any attention. It all feels like oh, he just set up like three cameras, and you know, and we're just kind of covering. It's just, and for me, Star Wars is Star Wars has always been just about gorgeous visuals and. And just, you know, fantastic compositions you know, right from the very beginning with uh, A New Hope. You know, he's channeling Akira Kurosawa, which are these really just gorgeous uh, kind of uh, wide shots. And to just go to this, you know, ha- half-hearted, handheld aesthetic just never feels right. And it, just, it felt, it honestly, it makes it kind of feel cheap to me in those scenes. Later on, like, the second half looks amazing. But for that first half, it just, it just it looks so basic and bland. In a way that I I, I I personally don't think Star Wars ever should. So it's like that again. That's that's kind of a complaint I'm gonna have about most of the episodes. But I I thought it, you know I thought it, it was like particularly bad in that, in that in that first scene here. Did you notice that at all? Or did it bother you at all?
1: Uh, I don't know how much I noticed it in the first scene. It's something that I feel like I noticed at various points in this series where like I I think there are certain times where the intention does come through in a way that I like with a very like stripped back kind of uh almost grindhouse feel which I mean we not not grindhouse which is like the very bare bones slapped together like there are moments that I think oh this is cool but a lot of the time and because despite the fact like the the budget's enormous but it's still it's still not a movie budget and so whenever whenever the the scenes feel like they're set up and shot with that kind of like handheld style. the The lack of movie budget becomes more clear.
0: Yeah, because it it's not entirely the fault of the budget, because like, it it cha- it really changes director to director. Like there are some directors who feel like they storyboarded every single shot.
1: Sure, and, and- it's like there there are moments when like whenever like. Whenever the the cinematography feels less inspired and it is just kind of like going between three different shots that were set up in very basic ways, it it, it feels TV, I guess. Yeah.
0: And I think like that it's no more apparent than when that fight happens. And it's just like it's the most basic TV fight. Like you know, every episode in like any kind of action TV show, they have their the big fight scene. And they're all there's like nothing special about any of it. And it feels like that here. Um it's just like, you know, they go through their blows, a couple things happen, it's over, and I don't care. Um There's a couple
1: <laughs> moments in that fight that I really do like. I I think something that I do like about that fight though is is both his strength and the weight of the Beskar kind of come through where like he's headbutting him and he's like, you see the way the the guy reacts to the blows and stuff and throwing. Like, it, it feels heavy.
0: <laughs> Were you distracted by how skinny the Gamorrean legs are? It's like they put yes. the big fat suit yes. on the guys and they the, do nothing but for But the, the, the legs and the arms,
1: their limbs in general did not feel properly padded.
0: It's so. <laughs> It's so so funny these like skinny little legs sticking out of the enormous fat suit, Uh But the uh, it was you know, it's you know fun. You know John Leguizamo, he has like you know connection with Favor. I know he he was in a uh, Chef. Has he been with in any of his other things? Was he like an elf or something? Was he uh, I don't think man? he's an
1: elf. I don't know what else he would have been in. Have you seen Chef? Mm hmm.
0: It's really good. <laughs> and uh oh, the the red eyed monsters in the darkness, like that's actually a really scary thing. And towards the end where you just see them all lighting up and coming in like i feel like just getting like legit claustrophobic like just get me out of here yeah
1: it's freaky and i don't know i end up thinking about it way too much and i'm like oh no he's he's genuinely like they're they're like biting into him and they're gonna rip that guy oh
0: brutal yeah i mean brutal cool (laughs) Also, one of my favorite things from the uh, the Star Wars Gallery episode on season two was uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau arguing about what, or discussing whether or not uh, Mando should say McClunky when he shoots out the light, because <laughs> apparently in Huttese or whatever it means like you're dead or something like, something along those lines, yeah um <laughs> there's the like should he say it? i don't know maybe like uh, thankfully they decided not to do that because it would have been terrible <laughs> but it was a a funny nerdy argument to watch you know amy sedaris coming back i felt like uh the uh the comic relief characters worked better in this season uh speaking of like her and horatio sands like they, they didn't irritate me as much in this season as like they kind of did in the first one um just <laughs> like thank the force yeah how much do you want for it uh not just kidding not really <laughs> and, 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 and they're playing into the um the, the baby yoda's popularity how now everyone in the star wars universe is also obsessed with baby yoda yeah
1: i, I think she she was mildly irritating to me in se- like the her introduction in season one but i i feel like i was starting to be won over by her in the second part where she does kind of like fall in like want to want to you know really protect the the child, which is just baby Yoda. I
0: just I love that now. He you know he's canonically the most precious thing, and everyone acknowledges it. Uh, <clears throat> and then we get just like an amazing speeder bike scene mm-hmm. where he's going across the Tatooine desert, and the music's playing and. It, it, it's heaven. Like, like, that's all I ever want from anything. And I think the show looks so much better whenever they're on deserts. Like, I don't know why, but just the, the cinematography just looks so much, just the, way, the lighting, maybe it's the reflection on the armor. Something about, it looks like it costs more, just, it just it just feels like less cheap whenever they're on a desert planet. And then Baby Yoda's ears flappy in the wind. <sighs> um. Then we come to Cobb Vanth. And, uh, so this is a character from the aftermath books. I've read the first two, and I think he has like one or two short asides in the second book. I don't know if he appears in the third, but from the first two I've read, like he's he's completely almost all other than having Boba Fett's armor, he's an all but irrelevant character in canon. Possibly he has a part in the third book, but either way, it was it was kind of cool to see them bring in characters from the novels. So yeah, we have uh, Timothy Oliphant, who's just. Lovely. Uh, like, the, and and there was a funny thing. I, I, I'm pretty sure that that first time we see him framed in the door, I feel like they had him, like, stand in a certain way and, like, put the armor on in a way just to make him look super dorky in that moment. Like, it just doesn't feel right. Like, the red shirt and the scarf kind of clashes with the green. Oh, yeah. The helmet looks a little his, too big. His,
1: yeah, He's, his neck is too long like there's too much there's too (laughs) too big a gap between the bottom of the helmet and where his shoulders meet
0: yeah and then he takes the helmet off and he looks amazing like he was born in this armor and born to wear it and i don't i like what is this sorcery i don't know what's happening it's probably the hair that's what it is Uh, man (laughs) he
1: looks so good in this episode
0: yeah, just the perfect grizzled look and the, the casual Texas accent, he just fits right in. Um, and he's got it's just the Texas sheriff down so good. Ah, now i having flashbacks to Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I just want to watch that scene <laughs> over and over again. Um, yeah, <laughs> and just and the and the way, just the visual storytelling that I like really good in this scene is when, you know, he's like, "Oh, you're a Mandalorian," and then he takes the helmet off, and and we don't even have a sh- just that kind of shot on Mando it's, he just kind of freezes, and like what is happening, and they've established you know this you know, this helmet thing so well that we don't you know, we don't even need the line, just that just that moment he says, uh, "You're no Mandalorian." And that, that, this is, that the helmet, I think, is good. And it's, it's good that they established this in the pilot, because I think, you know, what it means to be a Mandalorian, specifically in regards to the helmet, and how the helmet is used as part of Man, uh, Mandu's arc across the season, is actually... is a, Actually, I I never even thought about that before, you know, how it's set up and paid off throughout. But yeah, it's good storytelling. Hey. Maybe, maybe Favreau and Filoni know what they're doing. Who would have thought? Uh... <laughs> And then you have like the standoff, you know, Are we gonna do this in front of the kid. He's seen worse. And then <laughs> I we I talked about how a lot of the direction felt kind of lazy and just like, oh, we just throw up the cameras. And it, it's like that for the first 15 minutes. And after that it feels it starts to feel really um intentional. And I think that that starts with the build up to the crate dragon coming through town. We just hear this We hear the that distant rumble <laughs> And Comperance just holds up the one finger, like let's put a pause on our duel to the death for a second. And it just keeps coming, and the stuff starts shaking. And like it, and it was something I really missed in season one, where I felt like so much of that. And I think it was partially inexperienced directors, but it felt like they were just kind of going through the the the, the um the episodes, just like getting the baseline stuff. And it often felt like scenes of buildup were missing. Where we just allow, just allowing for like a full minute, just the noise and the the vibrations, and then finally you see the uh, you know, the sand in the distance and that whole build up to him coming through town. It's just a really well directed scene.
1: Love the shot of, of him going between the buildings.
0: Yeah, and fla- really flawless cool. effects too. It's just it's just that that one thing and he looks over. Maybe we can work something out. And it just, confetti is so freaking cool. <laughs> Baby, you to pick you out of this platoon. Um.
1: Like I said, I, I really liked how much of a how how much they just unapologetically functioned as a western for this episode. And I, man, I could just talk about Cobb Vance. <laughs> it makes no sense, like that he he could pull off a helmet that thick and tight fitting and have the hair look the way it does, but. <laughs> I'm glad that we can just say screw you to physics because every time <laughs> it's on screen like that, I, that's man, I wish right, that I was prematurely gray so that I could have that beautiful salt and pepper look. Man,
0: it's incredible. Then they go off in the desert, and uh, another aspect. Uh, I I don't know what is is with Favreau sometimes, but there's just some like bizarre, lazy elements that come in like they're they're all they're on the the speed the speeders and, and like speeding through the desert and it's just like Cobb is just like telling his story in a like a <laughs> a quiet voice as' like supposed to be like going a hundred yeah. miles an hour across the desert it's like did, did nobody think about this?
1: Uh, it was stuff like that really like it grates on me in ways that it really shouldn't <laughs> like it's all whenever I saw this, I'm like, wait, why is he? where just blast the sound with the wind like convince me how they i'm seeing them and it looks so cool they're going so fast like i need that extra feeling of momentum and speed with with the wind but it's just such a casual conversation it's it's also like it's not a conversation but it's like whenever every time i watch attack of the clones and anakin is riding from the the homestead out to the Tusken raiders and his 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 robe is just kind of like... It's a, it's a little flowy. And I'm like, you're going like 200 miles an hour. That thing should be out of control. But it's... Yeah. Uh, really lean into how fast these things are going. I
0: and mean, because his backstory... um, the, 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 the shot of when he use, uses the rocket on his backpack uh or jetpack to blow up the speeder the fleeing speeder is framed like exactly like the shot of iron man blowing up the tank mm-hmm. back in yeah. the first uh movie that John Favreau directed. I like I kind of almost squealed when I first saw that back you know when the season came out. And then then when they go they go and they, they uh collaborate with Tuscan Raiders and this is where Favreau's writing starts to fail. Um like the arguments they have are just like the most basic, like, you know, they're monsters. No, we're not. Yes, you are. You killed our people. <laughs> yeah. And then they're, then like, they're all instantly resolved and we move on. Like, it's like the, so much of Favreau's writing in this show feels like he's just has to you know, pay lip service to the idea so we can get by it and go kill a great dragon. Um, And like, it, it really shows in sharp relief when you have other writers, like when family, your rights, when Filoni writes, like, people actually have dialogue and discussions and there's back and forth. It's not all just like saying the soundbite and moving forward. It's
1: whenever we recorded episode by episode for the outer rim, I remember that was something that we usually ended up bringing up, especially for his episodes. Well, then we brought it up again for the episodes not written by him because we're like, Hey, look, look at this, (laughs) right? It's very, he's, his his writing is entirely functional and perfunctory. It's it's purely it's almost purely exposition. And like you said, the second it it extends even a little bit beyond exposition. It's just for the sake of kind of here's this idea that I can technically say was in it, but it's it every every bit of line is every yeah like every every line is just kind of written to to push things further a little bit and a little bit. And nobody's really really talking
0: to it. It's the same thing like the town are like, No, they are monsters. They are animals. It's like it doesn't help that some of the the not all the extras, uh, should be given lines.
1: Man, man, I talk about things that grate me too much. (laughs) I I I wonder when people write these scenes, because there's all sorts of scenes. I think the same thing whenever in like the lake town scene in Desolation of Smaug, when like you're you're shouting speeches to a crowd. They're like, no, no, yes. Who said that? Like, like people are just like active, like just shouting out like five word phrases to really nobody in particular. It's like you, have you seen a crowd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Shut up, peasant number three. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> This is the one one line that kills me every time. So they go through this whole thing of their, you know, they're bringing the Bantha up to the mouth of the cave. He's talking about, you know, they've studied his digestive system for centuries, and they know that if they do this, he's going to sleep longer. <laughs> and you know, he calls it, the dragon comes out, eats the, eats the Tuscan Raider. They might be up to new ideas. <laughs> it's, it's like the beautiful deadpan from Pedro Pascal. Um, and I, I don't know how much he's he was in the suit versus uh you know either Brendan Wayne or Latif Crowder. There was another guy as well. Um I don't know what what the balance was but you know his voice is just as fantastic in this season as the first one. And he do, he does get a lot more face time, not yet, but uh in our, in our next episode he's going to he'll have a lot more face time. Then we get uh, to the thing that really knocks the episode out of the park, which is the climax where just out of the blue the western show turns into a freaking kaiju movie. Uh, and like I, I criticize the look and how of how cheap this show looks sometimes but when it doesn't want to look cheap it doesn't <laughs> and like i i have no i have zero problems like any one of these effects could have been in the movie mm. and honestly i've seen far worse effects in in you know 100 million 200 million million films this year like it's it's it, it they're pretty flawless like everything with the cray dragon is just the sand effects the ripples as he goes through it all of that is just flawless the, the um,
1: texture on like the scales looks so real the the way like the lighting bounces off of it it's it's insane
0: mm-hmm. and they in the, in the gallery they're talking about how originally he was just going to be 100 feet long or 100 feet 150 feet long and they decided this kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until now I think he's like 600 feet and the size of this creature I think is one of the greatest things about this because it's like nothing you do can hurt this guy he it, he's just so massive it, it, it's like being a human besides Godzilla it's just it it really hammers home the kind of the helplessness our characters are supposed to feel as absolutely nothing works and you have these little tiny harpoons with tuscan raiders hanging off it's like the, what is that supposed to do the way like this whole climax is shot
1: like the actual direction like this or like the way scale is taken into account with the compositions and stuff the whenever they like jet pack up on the mountain actually before the, the shot of it bursting out of the top of the mountain and just spitting like that that's incredible. It's just amazing. And then when they fly up there and they're like standing by the skull and he's like the entire background, like they're in the foreground and then the background is just this monster head that's taking up the whole screen and it, it's it's incredible.
0: And I, I love the uh, the um, aspect ratio trick where they do where it slowly opens up from uh, I think yeah, 2.39 to 1 to the uh, 16 by 9. Um, and that, that the shot where it does it, where it's this lo- long lens shot of these like tiny Tuscan Raiders running in the foreground, and just the entire background is this like this the the spewing sand and the head coming out of it as it's expanding. It's, it's just it's it's so good and like and, and knowing that Favreau is capable of you know, a really good direction like this, like this entire sequence is perfectly directed. Like even the building up where they're you know they're setting up in the the uh, preparation montage. it's Like oh look this shot was, you know, this, these shots, they feel planned. They feel storyboarded Like the, this shot leads into this shot. And, you know, there's multiple movements. It's not just like random cuts between boring angles. Like he actually, you know, as a filmmaker, he came to this sequence and he just knocked it out of the park. And it's, and I, I, I love the way, just the way it's built. You know, it's pretty, it's not that long, but they really get across. Like we have a plan. It doesn't work. Everybody's dying. Like, what are we going to do? Like you, you feel legit helpless with how big this thing is and nothing's working. <laughs> like I feel like, you know, it reminded me of like the way he he showed the scale reminded me of kind of like Gareth Edwards what he would do mm. in his Godzilla movie or, yeah. or um or Rogue One.
1: It's it's weird I an issue that I had with the episode initially is it, it's like it's 50 minutes long, a little over 50, and I do think that like even the first like whenever I started it you know very first watch, you know I know well I'm... it's
0: fifty minutes with ten minutes of, at least ten minutes of credits.
1: Okay, but it like it it's still are the are the credits that long? with the credits ten minutes?
0: It is about forty seven minutes. Without credits,
1: so yeah, you know it's it's definitely a long. What is it? it it's the longest episode, right? Yes, five good ways. Yeah, and and so I. I do remember feeling like during leading up to the climax, thinking like ah, it's it's feeling a little like it's dragging, you know, like the, and because the dialogue isn't amazing and like I don't I don't I don't think the direction becomes like incredible until the climax. So I I, th- I there was a point where I was kind of surprised that like you know I'm. I was hyped out of my mind the week leading up to this. And I'm like, it's kind of weird that I'm, I'm enjoying it, but it's okay. And then the climax happens. And I'm like, this is incredible. I love, I love this. And, you know, maybe it's partly because I'm also just in general, kind of a, a Kaiju fan. So I'm <laughs> sure that helped out, but yeah, I, all that to say, you know, I do have some pacing issues with the episode. I think Favreau's writing is not incredible, but, Man, this finale is just awesome.
0: Yeah, I have it written down in all caps. How did an episode that started so blandly end so well? I wrote that down when I was watching it. Uh, that's, yeah, it like, gets my thoughts on it. And uh, yeah, uh, Tamar Morrison. How about that?
1: He looks awesome.
0: He does. Uh, we will talk about him later.
1: And so so episode two to two of season two, chapter 10, uh, is how it's labeled, is The Passenger. And this one is directed by Peyton Reed and shot by Baz Idoine.
0: How did you pronounce his last name? Did... I said Idawin. Idawin? Um, okay, that's probably right. I don't know. I, I just kind of did it fanatically.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to stick with that just so. If I'm wrong, it's because you misled me. Uh, so in this episode, Amy Sedaris returns. Uh, Misty Rosas, who played Quill uh, in Season 1, plays the just ridiculously endearing Frog Lady.
0: And I love Uh, that in the subtitles, she is Frog Lady. (laughs) It's amazing. uh,
1: And then we have Dee Bradley Baker providing her voice. You know, Star Wars fans are going to know that name. Uh, And then, of course, we've got Dave Filoni back as Trapper Wolf, which is just, again, I know we talked about it before, but that's the perfect name for him. And then uh, Paul uh, Paul Sun-Hyung Lee uh, as the fellow pilot, Carson Teva, who I also like... Really found super likable as the season went on. I'm like, ah, this is a cool guy. I just kind of want, I'd, I'd follow a show about this guy.
0: Yeah. I love his character. I, I don't know if anyone else in the world is passionate about this, but I'm still deeply upset that they didn't continue continue the tradition of all New Republic pilots just being directors and cameos. Uh, um. Like, you, you've got Bryce Dallas Howard, you've got John Favreau. Like, these are actors, they can deliver your lines. <laughs> this tradition you've got so um but he he is very lovable so
1: I'll uh allow it and then uh, richard aode uh, briefly returns to to voice zero uh droid from the first one who's still there uh so the synopsis for this is mando takes on a passenger and her spawn uh in return for her pointing the way to fellow Man- mandalorians uh the trip is interrupted by new republic pilots and in the ensuing chase mando crashes his ship in some ice caves uh, these caves end up being the home of some very uh, upset ice spiders, which got me super excited. Both as somebody who really likes the Ralph Macquarie art and who also just loved the the spider episode of uh, Rebels.
0: And as a weirdo who likes being scared.
1: Yeah, exactly. I just cool, creepy monster stuff is right up my alley. So a whole chase ensues there. Uh, however, the New Republics uh, the New Republic pilot saved them. Uh, and in return for uh, Mando um, imprisoning Space Bilber and his uh, his pal, oh, who's, I love the Bilber Baggins has become the best name ever for this man. The one uh, Bilber Baggins. It's not a Star Wars related oh. pun, but it's just it's what he should be called. Um, so they let him. They let him go, uh, and the episode ends there.
0: Yeah, and uh, since we talked a lot about direction in the previous episode, I got to talk a lot more about this episode because this one is directed by Peyton Reed, and I love, 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 love everything he does in this show. Um, with his Ant Man movies, I, I, I enjoy. They're they're very fun movies. Like the direction doesn't blow you away, but it's always like very solid and it does what it needs to do. And there's very rarely moments where you're like, "Oh, that looks terrible." Um, but then, but he's also he's just a very veteran filmmaker who's got you know, 10 feature films, including blockbusters under his belt. And when you give him a 32 minute episode of television and a lot of money, he's going to do a really good job. Um, and just right from the opening shots of Mando speeding across the desert, you just know you're dealing, I don't want to say better filmmaker, but with better filmmaking in the moment, because John Favreau is a very good filmmaker. I just think he's, I don't know. Maybe he's very distracted from about from writing the show, but watching this, it felt like every shot was intentional and planned. A lot of the shots are like, covering multiple movements, and then you you it goes you know from that the him driving to a fight scene, and oh my gosh, this is a really cool fight scene, and like it, it, it's clever, and there's just cool motions, and like when he grabs the rifle and pulls it into these people's heads, like. And then you get, and after the fight scene, there's this like great visual comedy gag with the jetpack. It's like, he, its just like he's always hes just showing off. It, it's like, none of it is—it's like, oh my gosh, mind blowing. But it, it was, for, at least for me, someone who really pays attention to the filmmaking. It was like, I just gave us this huge sigh of relief. Like, oh, we're in the hands of a really good filmmaker, who's just going to give us basic competency, and I'm so thankful. <laughs> It's amazing, because like maybe, maybe I am exaggerating how good the direction is, but I guess just because of how sloppy it can sometimes be in this show, just to be have a baseline competence, it just feels so good.
1: Yeah, it you know, I, I definitely like his Ant-Man movies, but they've never been, you know, even like within the MCU, they're not really the, the director's standout movies. Mm-hmm. But I think that I, I was pretty impressed start to finish in this episode. Like there are sequences in this episode that I've found, like... Like, if I were to pick my favorite Peyton Reed-directed moment from anything, I I might pick moments from this episode over over his actual Ant-Man films. There's just... Like, it, especially later in the episode that we're going to get to. Um, yeah, like, it's just a start to finish. Every scene kind of lands. Every, there's There's something cool about everything. It's never just... And then he punches the thing, and then they punch back, and we're done. It's like, no, no, there's, like, choreography, staging, like, is it was an actual scene.
0: And there's, like, multiple—all the fights have, like, multiple moving parts. Like, the, there's two guys fighting him, but he's also keeping an eye on the little, the little Jawa-like dude who's trying to—dragging <laughs> the giant gun. Um,
1: I think it's the same thing as whatever Tito was from Force Awakens, which I thought was cool. Oh,
0: yeah, and, like, it is, it is probably the most nothing episode in the entire show so far— but just, it, it it is so well executed for it's I think it's in my top three or four episodes of the entire show just because it's it's just so much fun for me to watch. The <laughs> the heck of the jetpack is so beautiful. Because oh, you see, he let, he lets the comedy play out, or you know, he picks it up and he runs, and he's like it's just little legs carrying him away. And We're just watching him. Then he presses the button. He goes up in the air. And we just cut to Mando waiting, and then just the ah, the thump as he falls back down, and the, and the jetpack slowly lands. That Mando just looks at uh, Baby Yoda and shrugs. Like the, vis- the tiny little bits of visual comedy in this just are so good to me. Yeah, uh, it's it's really dark but
1: you know i'm i'm okay to laugh at it because whenever baby yoda like flies out of the bike and just rolls across the ground
0: kill them all
1: yeah yeah, we're done there
0: oh but the way baby yoda runs to him with this little (laughs) baby baby cry after the, the creature lays him down this is a very good baby yoda episode and then, oh, the mu- the music as he's walking across the desert with all his stuff slung across his shoulders, and he- these like beautiful hazy like desert right. shots. Uh... <laughs> I can pr- my pr- let me go add pr- probably my favorite favorite line from Amy Sedaris. "You finally found another Mandalorian, and you killed him." <laughs>
1: This this uh, is a really good episode for her too. I think I think the the line that made me laugh the most is, you know, she's she's hyping up this frog like you know. Do you vouch for them? On my life, and like it's like she's she's genuinely like presenting them as, you know, like no, we've got to do this. And then we find it like it's like uh, do you know this? No, I just met her ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the delivery there is is fantastic.
0: Uh, but I love Frog Lady with all my heart. Um, this is just a beautiful effect. Like you know, I, there, there's definitely some CGI in there, but it's a lot of animatronics and uh, Misty Rose's uh, physical performance. But oh, she's so sweet and just lovable, and the little, just the little faces and looks and vocalizations from Dee Bradley Baker. It's, it just comes together. You know, this not to make this non-verbal character just and like oh, oh my gosh, dude, we have. Think about again, you know, praise to paint in direction. We have Mando, who's a dude in a helmet, Baby Yoda, who's a puppet, and this, you know, this little lady with a frog with a frog helmet on, you know, who's a yo know, animatronics. And like, I never once missed. I didn't miss the human face. Like, it never occurs to me that I'm not seeing any kind of life or humanity on screens. It's all so beautifully executed. The puppetry and the just the visual direction and the, the vocalizations. It's it's so good. Yeah. And there's like the
1: performances bring so much, and there's so many like little touches. And like I, I'm it's incredible how much of a character they're able to create with Frog Lady. Like just her putting like the the shawl around the the egg tank. It's just like, oh man, what a precious person. And then The desperation and the body language when, like, she's speaking through the robot and stuff. And it's like, I, you're the best. And I just, I I want nothing but the best for you. And I don't even know. It's what I, like, I wondered how, like, I wondered if other people were going to react the same way. Cause I'm watching and I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm weirdly invested in this lady's story. Like, I need to make sure he gets back. And then, like, you you know you go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and then you realize, okay, I'm not a, like the entire world has come together to universally declare her like the actual best.
0: And I I love the um that that scene you mentioned because like she could just be a kind of comedic you know you know funny character because she's a frog, but also the the put upon mother. But then they give her that moment where you know they, it's just been constant misunderstandings and mis- uh, miscommunications the entire time and then she finally finds the translator droid and she gets the moment you just you know, lay into mando for not holding up his end of the bargain you know, you know I thought honoring one's word was part of the Mandalorian code I guess those are just stories for children and, like she gets this really passionate dignified moment where like you know, I mean she may have been a comedic character before but now you like you really get her who she is who this rubber animatronic frog is as a person in her hopes and dreams and all that. It was really good. Um, <laughs> there's the, tra- the traffic stop. And I just, I love how they play it. Just like the most boring and mundane times you got you, you pulled over. And, you know, <laughs> and it's just the way that, that uh, Trapper Wolf and, um, Carson and Teva, they just sound so bored. They've done this a thousand times, and they're just going through the list of things they gotta ask. <laughs> and it's just the way it plays out. Hey, uh, can you switch over to, to Channel 2? And then you just get the tense wait, and then the X-foils the <laughs> in the background. I love that. Yeah, that whole scene is, is so, I think, just beautifully laid out, where you get, like, he's answering the questions, and like, just one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in this location? And then you—they know, switch over the channel, and then you see the um the X foils open up in the background. And again, you just you get great visual gags. Um, they ask the question, and we get that long shot on um Mando, and then he just jerks the uh jerks the stick over, and we got a runner. And they just—they don't care. They're just like whatever. This 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 happened twice this morning. We're gonna catch him. And
1: then. We get like maybe one of the best like sp- flight chases ever. Yeah, like it's so cool. It's that this is this is where like I was I was really liking the episode and everything. This is where Reed really blew me away. Like the the color in it, like with going. You know the the pink glow off of the clouds and the sun behind everything. Can and we make a
0: law that all space ch- chases should happen in daylight, in clouds? Is like that possible?
1: It's well, we should get more of it at the very least. Like, well, there's just the way he's able to, like, sell you on the weight of the. Of the slu- of the the ships and the
0: speed, the, because, the like, sound design for the uh, the Razor Crest, like as it, as it comes by and it does like these crazy maneuvers, like when they say like that thing's gonna tear apart an atmosphere, and you hear just the rattle and roar of the engines, yeah. like you feel it.
1: And I love like there will be times where like we'll we'll have a, a shot with nothing but like the sun and clouds and stuff and frame. And then they'll they'll speed right by the camera and you get that little bitty camera shake and just the, the engines whizzing by and stuff. And man, I just, I think this whole chase scene is genuinely phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it, it just blows you away. And I love all the faces and noises that Frog Lady is making in the <laughs> background. Like Mando in the foreground is like wrestling with the controls and she's just like flying around, flopping around. I love all the memes like, you know, Ma, your mom when you go one mile over the speed limit or whatever. Um Yeah, it's just adorable. And then they crash. And uh, Baby Yoda is eating eggs. And uh, are you one of the people that gets like really upset about this? Because I think it's hilarious.
1: But... I think it's funny. I, I at a certain point, well, but I don't feel like anything I was ever feeling was like not what I meant to feel or not what like he kind of expected. A lot of people as is the case uh, or as is usually the case flipped out and were ridiculous. And he set the internet on fire. So Maybe it's just like my love for this frog lady, but I like, I never fully, I, I like, I never questioned my love for baby Yoda, but I definitely got to the point where I'm like, she's just trying to <laughs> you're just trying to get her kids there. Stop doing like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you're definitely uh, supposed I, to be horrified by yeah. it.
1: <laughs> exact which is exactly. what really, yeah I feel like I felt what I was supposed to and and like it was it was definitely dark humor and I I did find the humor in it and I was also I found the horror <laughs> in it and uh like I said my investment I <laughs> I was like, you know, like, who do, What does it matter if we find another Jedi? Let's just like this show is about getting this girl, like this this mom, where she <laughs> needs to be. I'm so invested in this journey.
0: Yeah, I love like when they're in the pool and Baby Yoda's reaching for one, and you just see Mando's hand coming from the <laughs> side, <laughs> like no, with the you know, the, the authoritative finger. Um, yeah, then we get to the spiders and. Baby Yoda eating the baby spider is one of the grossest things I've ever seen in yes. my life. It just this the slimy tendrils and the crunch. It's, it's so wrong. Uh, it's a, definitely a lot of alien vibes. Uh, thankfully he did not get a face hugger on him. I don't think I don't think we could take it.
1: Yeah, the the, the spider eggs was very much alien in a in a cool way yeah
0: and uh, then uh you know as if showing off in action and comedy wasn't enough uh peyton reed pulls out some serious horror chops and a thousand spiders come out and it's too many spiders it's wrong and i hate it and it's horrible <laughs> I, I i've seen this episode like four times and i will never not be just so I, I, i'm not and i'm not particularly arachnophobic like I'm, i don't obviously i'm human so i don't like spiders but i'm not like particularly terrified of them but when you have a thousand of them and they're crawling up the walls and down the ceiling and they're everywhere and they're not stopping, <laughs> its so many of them. It's horrible. <sighs> yeah,
1: it's definitely something where it's like, it is about how much you throw at the screen. And in the case of spiders, like for real, if you have so much that they're like crawling over each other, it's, it gets even worse. It's because, like, for every single one of them, you got all the additional legs. And so then.
0: But the sequence is like, when they finally get in the ship and uh, they're, like, pieces, like slowly backing up and they're just, like, all over the walls and everywhere. Like, it's just like the claustrophobia is closing in. And I I just, like, I forget to breathe watching this sequence. And there's you know bits of uh, Sheila from Return of the King, but I was mainly thinking about uh, Prisoner of Azkaban with the the last man chamber mm. of secrets yeah with all the, with aragog and all his uh ilk um but yeah and it, of course the uh, the reference i don't think it's a reference to rebels which makes me sad because rebels deserves more references i think it was just a reference to uh, macquarie's dry yeah but still as a fan of rebels i totally geeked out you know yeah. when these two very similarly designed creatures came out
1: i accept it as you know it's just it's another species of what was canonically introduced in rebels
0: yep yeah it's just this, the whole sequence it just builds and builds and builds um he, he's he's like backing up and he he, see, he tries to uh, hold them at the door and they come pouring in and there's the, the little one on baby on his head and his little cries are so adorable um and then what, you know, he seals the door, and he's trying to get the thing to, to lift off, and like the, the Mando th- – this is this funny – Is like the Mando theme keeps trying to jumpstart itself in the music. Like It just tries to start, and it stops. It tries to start, and then it starts to build. And then the Mama Spider lands on the ship, and it just kills it all. Yeah, so it's just – and then, you know, obviously, the, uh, the pilots come, but it's just such a nerve-wracking sequence. Um, And then we get—I like that—you know—the good that Mando did is coming back to help him. Like he's—he's just been in constant trouble, and he still chooses to to do the right thing, some of the time, (laughs) a lot of the time. Uh, And now, you know, that him—you know—arresting these four guys and trying to save the uh, the New Republic uh, crew member, like those are coming back to pay off uh, that. And the New Republic is just really stretched thin, and they don't want to bother with it, and they want to go home.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like. You know, it, it was a bit frustrating because you know, this episode happened, and everything, everybody was just like, ah, oh, just another fetch quest, just another filler, blah blah blah. I'm like, well, it's clear that you, we aren't, we're not in in this show for like actual filmmaking and you know, great individual episodes. You know, we just, we just want the plot. We want this and that. I'm like, I, I thought it was super fun. I like it's one of my favorite episodes in the series. And it's one where like, like I said, just start to finish. I really don't have to caveat my love for it with anything. It's like, no, it started with a cool scene. It ended with a cool scene. Cool scenes happened in between. The direction was always great. Like it's just a really, really good episode.
0: Yeah. And, and I know some people really, really want to plot. I know you and me have a really long argument about this. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> like, just like I, I, I am finding like if you look at my list of episodes, most of the ones that are in my top five are just the little fetch quests, you know, one-off episodes. I, I, I think for me this is where Mando really shines. So like I don't even get that criticism of you know it's just oh, it's just it's just you know it's just filler. Like the show is filler. Deal with it.
1: I it's it's a complaint that I even as somebody who just kind of made fun of people making that complaint right now, it's a complaint that I start to have. It's, it's the same with both seasons actually, where at first I'm like, Oh no, this is cool. And then which I guess we'll, we'll probably end up getting to this more. in when we get to later episodes,
0: I guess yeah, the, the heiress definitely has a lot of a, a lot of plot elements coming together. Yeah. So next episode is the heiress is chapter 11, this one fe- features the return of uh, Bryce Dallas Howard to the director's chair. This one was shot by Matthew Jensen. Um, he's uh, the cinematographer of the two uh, Wonder Woman movies and the fan- Fantastic Four reboot. He also did a lot of Game of Thrones. It stars uh, Katie Sackhoff. Uh, she is returning uh, from the Clone Wars and Rebels as Bo-Katan Kryze. I'm going to switch between Bo-Katan and bo without any kind of logic or, or rhyme or rhythm, because I don't know why. Uh, she's flanked by Mercedes Fernando, uh, probably better known by her stage name, Sasha Banks. Uh, she plays Cosca Reeves, another Mandalorian. And the other Mandalorian is played by uh, Simon Cassianides uh, as uh, Axe Wolves. Uh Titus Welliver plays an Imperial Captain, uh, making this something of an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion for him. And uh, uh, I'll call him Simon. <laughs> Uh, so I don't destroy his name again. Uh, But yeah, both of those actors appear in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I am currently watching. So Mando arrives on the planet Trask. Uh, He sees Frog Lady and her surviving eggs reunited with Frogman, and then goes off in search of Mando's. He catches a boat ride with some friendly Quarren, who then try to feed him and Baby Yoda to a big fish. But they are saved by the timely arrival of Bo-Katan and her posse. But uh, Mando is an ungrateful zealot and pieces out after these Mandos take off their helmets, like every other Mando who ever lived did. Uh, then they promptly save his hide again from still more Quarren, and he agrees to chat. They make a deal to give him information on the Jedi if he helps them commandeer an Imperial freighter, which they do. She then tells them where he can find a Jedi named Ahsoka tado Dun dun dun, and a billion nerds cheered. I was one of them. Yeah, so this one is a very wet episode. We get, we get, you get to see this. It, Trask is a very, it's kind of a, a coast side or it's a, it's a water play, but we take most of it takes place in this, like this very dingy, moldy looking uh, coastal town, um, with a nice knitwear, apparently, which, mm, <laughs> which love the sweaters, man. Hilarious. And, and the opening scene where he's coming into atmosphere, um, she confirmed this, but it, it's like shot for shot. Uh, kind of a recreation of the re-entry sequence from apollo apollo 13 you know who was directed Hmm. by ron howard her father um that was pretty cool i remember enjoying bryce dallas howard's previous episode you could kind of feel her inexperience but i i liked the way her very she had like a very sedate calm style which worked very well with this very nice soothing uh forest environment um, and she kind of has the same style here. It's a, it's a lot of fairly wide shots with pretty basic cuts between them. A lot of pretty much if there's any movement at all, it's this very subtle dollies kind of going back and forth. And it does it does feel a little constrained by the volume and the sets. Like almost all the shots are these like kind of basic eye level angles. Like she she doesn't quite sell like just the the, the enormity of this you know, this coastal town, the ocean, the, the, it, the, the skies overhead. Like, it always feels like she shot this on a volume and then they kind of filled it in in the background. So it, it, it feels a little small. It, it, it's all pretty basic direction. One, I think one area where her fairly static style does work is in the hand-to-hand combat. Because she just points to the camera and lets stunt people, you know, stunt people, punch each other. And they're very good at it. So, like, the action works a lot better, I think, here. Than it did in in Favor's episode where he just kind of it felt super choppy here she just kind of points to the camera and lets it play out so that that works better but overall i'm not o- overly thrilled with her direction it, it, it does the job and there are there are some pretty cool shots i like how she shoots spaceships i think she's very good at that she sells she just sells like their weight and grandeur quite well um but most of it feels kind of basic
1: for the for the the town itself is like after after the crash, you, you, there's the shot of like what looks like a retrofitted ATAT uh, like lifting it out, and it it feels like a movie. It just it looks amazing, and it's this big. It's a pri- It's basically just an entirely effects driven composite. Like every everything in frame is is that, and so there really isn't a limit to what you can do, and so everything feels big. And it isn't until we're just kind of walking around in the town that I'm like, okay, yeah, this is kind of where the the set that they're able to work with ends and here's extensions, and they don't always look... It feels like sometimes she's afraid to to lean on the extension more than she has to, so it always feels like, let's just focus on what's here within this stage. But with, with that aside, I feel like I, I mostly... I, I don't really have any sort of issues with her direction outside of the action. I think... I think the action later, like when they board the ship, is pretty bland. Like, it's just kind of, here's a shot of one side shooting their guns, like, kind of towards the camera. Here's another shot of the other side. I was going to get to that. Okay, yeah. Well, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more then. But but just moment to moment, I I really do like her direction. It does feel a little bit more, uh, I don't know, kind of, not not floaty or anything. But, like, it just, it feels soothing yeah that, like, that's a good word for it it's just like the scenes kind of play out and there's nothing there's no like jarring transitions or heart harsh cu- cuts excuse me but it's it's just it's very very nice to watch direction and i absolutely agree on like the way she shoots spaceships there's the the shot behind the big carrier as it slowly rises off the ground yes. is like it really, it feels like a, it's a very Neil Blomkamp, like District 9 kind of shot of where it's like, it's this wide thing and just the enormity of what's in the background is just, it's everything. It's, I, I love that shot so much. And you, you get the same kind of awesome shot with the Mandalorians flying away from the ship as it explodes. And it's like, oh, that is just, I want that on my wall
0: yeah like there are some like really cool particularly the cgi shots i think are really well done so like this one is kind of it's a lot of back and forth they go and (laughs) they try to murder baby yoda how dare they
1: i kind of jumped in my seat a little bit when it got swallowed by the monster
0: (laughs) just baby yoda presses the button really closes it right as the mouth closes um and it's it's like legit stressful when Mando's in there and they're like ramming these like spears onto his fingers as he's trying to hold onto the cage. Yeah, because like you look at it
1: and I'm like, oh, what is it Matt? He's he's got Beskar, and then like they're it's getting so close to his hands when he, when he's holding onto it, and you're like, oh, those are just leather gloves. Ah, I'm kind of freaking out now.
0: <laughs> uh, and then we get uh, Bo-Katan. Uh it was you know a character that I've I've quite liked. She's gone on a really interesting arc. Over this series, um, you know, from pretty much a terrorist who's like slaughtering villages when we first meet her, to you know, an al- to a, a, a uh, kind of uh, uneasy ally to to by the end of Rebels, like the leader of the you know the Free People of Mandalore, um, and I'm guessing they got slaughtered. I'm I am a little uh, sad that when we finally meet her, we don't find out what happened because last time we saw her, she had the dark saber. Mandalor was rallying around her like they were going to lead a revolution and now she's just with like two other people on some random water planet like how do, like this is a very different uh you know, set of events and, and circumstances what happened yeah um but we don't know yet
1: i you know i'm i'm hoping that what we get to is going to be satisfying you know like i i spent the entirety of season one just being like if the if this is just favreau saying well actually Mandalorians now don't take off their helmets and that's just how it is. Yes. It was It was such a relief for that to have been addressed here and be like, whenever she's like, oh, he's one of them, I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> and so with that being said... And I love how was like, oh, he's one of them. Yeah. yeah okay, <laughs> not again. And
1: so with with that concern being addressed, I, I'm hoping that we can have the same thing. Although he... This is definitely this is the last episode with the whole, well, it's got to be one, blah, blah, blah. Like, we'll we'll see. Favreau seems to be kind of introducing things that he thinks is cool into the Mandalorian lore without <laughs> seeing how much it lines up. But I don't know. I, I, I'm i taking a wait and see,
0: you know. There's a, a funny line where she says, you know, you're a child of the Watch, a cult of religious zealots who broke away from the Mandalorian society. Their goal was to reestablish the ancient way. Huh? Who does that sound like, Bocatan? Huh? Sounds a little familiar, right? It was. <laughs> it was almost like is she trying to like downplay her own involvement, like by like, oh they were the, the, they're the religious zealots. You're like I, I I definitely was not involved with that in my youth at all. No, no, definitely not. Um, it just kind of felt kind of funny the way she was talking about it, considering her own past. And then speaking of the, ch- the children of the watch. So does that does so that mean that they were offshoots of death watch like like was it like death watch not uh not uh you not know, extremist enough. enough for them uh it's just it just it, it 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 opens up some interesting questions not a lot of answers but yeah some quite yeah it's it's intriguing
1: I'm definitely this is this isn't one of those like I don't know what this is this doesn't line up completely with what we know and now I'm annoyed this is like oh I wonder what you're gonna do here like i'm I'm looking forward to To finding more out about like whatever the the children of the watch are, because I mean it's obviously it is in some way related to Death Watch, uh, but there's also a reason why you know they're called the Children of the Watch and not Death Watch, and so I Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing how that's expanded on.
0: And interesting, a really interesting thing that the line was where he said, "You know that planet that planet is cursed, and anyone who goes there dies." It's just like you know, don't believe everything you hear. So is that is that Imperial propaganda or is that lies told to him by his cult mm. so that he won't go back to Mandalore and run into other Mandalorians and find out that he's a cult member? <laughs> Interesting questions. Um, because, you know, uh, Bo-Katan seems to be totally fine with going back there. So, hmm. We, we, we still don't even know exactly what the purge was.
1: Yeah, I'm still waiting. I, man, there's a lot of stuff that I still need answers.
0: Uh, then they go. They're gonna uh, steal a Gazanti freighter, which is which they featured very heavily in Rebels. That I kind of geeked out seeing that again. Yeah, loving all the Rebels connections. And they and we and you mentioned this earlier, but I, I do find the way she shot action in this one. This was, was also partially Sam Hargrave, but I'm assuming he was working off her storyboards or something because the action he shoots is usually a lot more exciting. Uh, but it, it is it's a lot of like people running down halls a couple stormtroopers spot uh, pop up they shoot them all they keep running and you know it, 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 it it's not bad but it just it wasn't terribly exciting and it kind of it went on for a long time uh without you know much variety
1: i think my biggest issue with with action like that is it doesn't feel like there's any continuity in the actions it it does just feel like we pointed the camera at one group for 10 minutes as they shot past the camera. And then we did the same for the other group. And then we just like, you can take any snippet of either end of that and say that this is what's happening on the other side. Like it, it just doesn't feel too often. It doesn't feel like what we're seeing on either side of the action is really correlating with the others outside of the most general kind of, well, there's lasers coming at them.
0: And action scenes where one side is four super soldiers in Beskar versus Stormtroopers, that like, there's never a lot of stakes in that kind of fight.
1: But at least it's also a cool front. Like you got people in Beskar armor who can do what? Like these are super soldiers. Like, do something cool too. Like
0: you don't <laughs> like, like run forward with a handful of bombs and take every single shot ever. Well yeah, do that. that. That was kind of funny. This is Mando's strategy. <laughs> Just run at them and take and get shot as many times as you need to to get close enough. I'm kind of sad that uh, they they kind of they blew their Titus Welliver well cameo in this very tiny little scene. You know, he's he's a great, very very good bureaucrat, you know, imperial bureaucrat actor. I Kind of wish they could have given him a bigger role. He's he's a
1: he's an amazing he's fantastic in Gone Baby Gone, and I didn't I haven't watched a lot of it, but I've seen a couple episodes of his show Bosch. It's he's he's great. And, like, I, I think he's really great here, too, but I'm kind of with you they're Like, oh, man, if we needed a little, like, third-tier, second-tier little imperial bureaucrat guy for a little side story running out, if he's going to be a point of contact, maybe. Like, he's a great actor to do that with, but he's gone.
0: Sorry. And we learned that uh, Bo-Katan is after the Darksaber, which Moff Gideon has, which we saw, you know, back in uh, the finale. Um, and then, like a couple seconds later, she mentions, "You know, go and find Ahsoka." Tano. It's like, "The the lore of this show is being so violently expanded in this episode." Like the episode itself, I don't think is anything terribly special, but I think another season of Mandalorian, a season of of Rangers, and a season of uh, Ahsoka in the future, we're gonna look back at this episode as like a big turning point because a lot of you know, we we you know, the quest for the dark the return of Bo Katan, the you know the you know the return of the uh, official. There are, you know, the official announcement of Ahsoka's return, like all of that is happening in this one episode. Uh, it, it's 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 a lot going on in it for a show that you know is is usually very kind of patient and lackadaisical in how it you know it tosses out bits of lore. <laughs> and then we get you go back to Baby Yoda. Ah, uh, honestly, the scenes with Baby Yoda, you know, with you know Frog Lady and Frog Man. I just find them so wholesome and adorable, because I feel like Baby Yoda hasn't had, it you know, hasn't been with, you know, a, like a real nuclear family, like, ever. So, like, he, like he, he being there with this, you know, this loving family, the, you know, the mother, the father, the babies, it was like, this is so freaking wholesome. <laughs> After all the crap he's been through, all the you know, the danger, just to, like, be safe with his family it was so sweet, and him playing with a tadpole, and I was terrified that he was going to eat it
1: that would have been too far and i would have Uh,
0: but he didn't he's actually kind of enamored by it (laughs) and his little his little tantrum he throws when mando takes him away he's like no i have enough pets
1: also speaking of wholesome the reunion between frog lady and frog man
0: oh yeah
1: just the most beautiful delightful incredible wonderful thing to have ever been shot. <laughs> I, uh, I was, I was relieved. A lot of people are like, I hope she returns. No, I don't want her back in the show. I don't want, I don't want the idea that she's another potential victim. Like I, she was reunited. <laughs> they I need, better
0: not cool her.
1: That's exactly. That's the thing. I, I'm too afraid. If the last thought, the last thing we ever see of her is this re, uh, reunion with her and her husband, like just leave it be. Don't, that would hurt too much.
0: Or we come back and they're a happy family with a whole bunch of little frog people.
1: There you go. I'd be okay with that. It's just if she comes back, it has to be just for making a happy scene even happier.
0: And apparently, you should never trust a mon calamari repairman. <laughs> it's like it's like, a, it's like rope and tackle and nets holding the ship together. This poor ship has seen so much. I hope I hope nothing happens to it. <laughs>
1: So the next episode is uh, Chapter 12, The Siege. This one was directed by Carl Weathers, who's actually been directing TV episodes kind of off and on since the 90s. Uh, It was shot by Matthew Jensen. Uh, Sam Hargrave is listed as the second unit director. Uh, The episode features a return of uh, a lot of season one standouts. Uh, Carl Weathers, obviously, as Grief Karga ratio Sands as uh, as the roll, who still doesn't get a, a credited name, uh, and Omid Abtahi as Dr. Pershing, as well as uh, as well as Gina Carano as Cara Dune. So the the premise of this one is uh or the summary is the Mon Calamari repairs notwithstanding, uh, the Razor Crest is still in bad shape. So Mando returns to Navarro for repairs. Uh, there is or there he is roped in by Grief Karga and the newly appointed Magistrate Cara Dune to help them destroy a base of Imperial holdouts that are still on the planet. Uh, they eventually do this, and then Mando heads off to find Ahsoka in a now-repaired Razor Crest. Uh, also, there is the reveal of Moff Gideon with dark troopers.
0: And there's a typo there. Grief Karga is the Magistrate, and uh, uh Cara Dune is uh, uh, the Marshal.
1: Oh, that's
0: right. Yeah, um, so... We have a Carl Weathers episode, which is kind of... Which uh, I think the big revelation here was that he really, really loves Baby Yoda. And we open with this extended scene of uh, Mando trying to talk Baby Yoda through repairs. It reminded me a lot of the scene in um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with uh, Baby Groot and the bomb. But uh, it's, it's so adorable. And just, again, like the little... I want to know who's doing the Baby Yoda's voice because they need an Oscar. A little cough. Just the little vocalizations as he looks at different wires and holds them up. And, uh, and Mando's like very patiently talking him through. Just, that one goes there, okay? You cannot let it touch. I, I it's, love... It's, it's so freaking adorable.
1: <laughs> I love the evolution of like his his relationship with, with Baby Yoda. Just like the the red one goes to the green one. No, the red one goes to the... Like, he's trying so hard to be the single dad. I love and, it. And, and
0: then after it goes wrong, and there's smoke billowing out, are you okay? She's this tired voice. like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm so done with this, but I'm going to make sure my kid's okay. It's so sweet. Oh, I love it. Then we get uh, Cara dude punching a bunch of people, uh, and she's very good at it. But... Like the animatronic ferret is like one of the worst things I've ever seen. Like, just, why is it so just bad? Just do CGI. It's, it's okay. Yeah, or I'll forgive it. It's
1: yeah. I don't. It's it's really off-putting to look at for me.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> I probably should mention. I think like Carl Weathers as a director. Um, I think it's fine. Like I, I, I hate bashing on everyone in this episode, but I. I i do find it very kind of bland i think like he's he just does very very basic coverage you know wides mids close-ups and also like there was a thing i noticed especially with this episode that a lot of the shots don't look very good like they're just weirdly framed like like they didn't really plan it out like just he just put the camera over there capture the action and we'll, we'll kind of walk by like it was just odd like some of the shots just like felt like like off center, like the characters like half in frame. It was It was strange.
1: Yeah, it, this this may sound like too harsh and overdramatic and maybe it is, but it's, it's just kind of like where my mind went. There was almost something like sitcommy about some of the scenes, like especially during when, when they're trying to get into the base and they're standing outside the elevator or then, you know, they're in the base and they're standing outside the other thing it feels like everybody's kind of positioned in a way where like everybody's front side is faced towards the camera, which like it, it, it started to feel like the live studio audience of like where we're all kind of this, this whole thing is framed because everything on the other side isn't really there. And so there, there are just moments of like, we're all kind of standing next to each other, looking at each other, but it's just, it's a, it's a very static, Thing. i don't know is it just felt off
0: he seemed to really like the character interactions where it's kind of like they're kind of standing around having you know their little conversations back and forth and their funny quips like he seemed to like like that best it folks put a lot of focus on just kind of like not even important dramatic character interactions but just like of these conversations and little jokes and comedic you know bits between him and uh the mithral so, something um,
1: else we find out that- it was
0: like it felt very kind of laid back just like he liked. he just wanted to hang out yeah
1: and you know despite like i i think it in terms of direction, it may be on the bottom of my list for this season. But in a, in a weird way, like I'm for some reason, I just I I really really love Carl Weathers. Like he's just. Whether it's a Disney so gallery weird. or any other interview, he's also he's incredible. My introduction to him, before anything else, was Arrested Development, and so I already fell in love with him.
0: I mean, like he ends every tweet with "B peace like he's the yeah, coolest dude like, ever. Exactly,
1: his Twitter account is awesome. I just, I really, really loved this guy, and so I was rooting for the episode to be super well directed. When I found out he had been directing for a while, I'm like, okay, cool. And it happened. I was like, ah, maybe bottom for me, but. If he wants to direct another, I say do it just because I like him <laughs> and I think he deserves it even if his talent doesn't deserve it but oh well.
0: And he so clearly loves baby. Yoda. he he just put in a random subplot of baby Yoda going to school <laughs> and stealing some cookies and it doesn't matter at all but it's adorable. Like he just he just wants yeah. excuses to point the camera at the puppet and I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah, this is probably my least favorite episode. Like it mainly just got said like it, it's it's another one of the you know the fetch quest episodes, but you know, the beauty of the fetch quest episodes is that you can have like a really good director come in and do something cool. In this case, it's pretty blandly made.
1: Do a little like I think a lot of the times the ones that work the best are are also episodes like standalone episodes that really embrace genre. And this this just it just felt like um, a lot of people
0: were saying like oh it's an eighties action film and there there are elements of that. Um. But not enough stylistically, at least for me to, yeah. for it to really come through and like define it.
1: Boy, oh boy, does Carl Weathers love his wipes.
0: <laughs> um. So they go, uh, I'm, also, I'm really confused about the logistics of all this. So, like, why, I, I don't understand why Moff Gideon didn't. You know, reconquer the planet just out of spite. Like, there's only two people there. Like, it's <laughs> it wouldn't be that hard to come get rid of these two troublemakers. Like, he and also like since he, he has a base on the planet, you know, with you know, vital research happening. Why doesn't he make it secure? Like, it, it, that whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, like, they they humiliated and defeated him. So why wouldn't he? He does seem the he very much does seem the you know the spiteful type that would come back and rain hellfire from the skies. Uh, but whatever. So they go and they attack the base and they take it very easily. And speaking of running through hallways, blasting people, oh boy, <laughs> were these action scenes so boring.
1: Yeah, and and again, like this is, this is this whole sequence is just wipe city. Like every time <laughs> they they make it like ten feet down a hallway, we get another wipe to another hallway, and it's it's there's no real cutting. It's it's it is the full on like from the right to the left. Wipe
0: and he holds the shots like they run into the room and they run out of the room it's like he just holds these one long shots of just kind of you know moseying along
1: just feels like like he shot for coverage and then he was like I'll just keep it all I guess
0: yeah um but one thing I do like is that I I kind of hated Horatio Sands' character in the first episode I just I I was very happy once he got frozen like none of the humor worked but he's actually kind of funny here (laughs) I like it. just the little kind of constant bickering between him and Carl Weathers. He's, you know, arguing for, uh, I'll give you 10 years off if you do this. <laughs> the The line that got me the most was when he, uh, he walks up to the dead body, shoves it off the desk. Excuse me.
1: No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I was never really bothered by him in the first season. And so here I'm like, ah, that's fine enough. I, I think he's a funny character. He's a he's a a fun dynamic for the group.
0: I, I think a part of I think this is I was going to say I think this is my least favorite episode of the entire show. I don't hate like I, I don't think it's a bad episode here. I think the the worst is just fine. Yeah. Also, I think part of that is that there is a whole lot of Gina Carano on screen, and I I, I and this is going to be a whole complicated conversation. I'm not going to get into her canceling. We'll talk. We'll talk about that you know, <laughs> whenever season three comes out. uh, I, But my, my beef with her has always been, I don't think she can act and she's hired here as an actor and she can't do it. Yeah. So she shouldn't be here. It's been kind of that, and you know, not even touching the whole political thing. I, I don't, I'm not interested in that, but I, 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 like if you listen to our first episode, she just, her presence frustrated me to no end because she, she just, it's not her fault. She's not an actor. That's fine. Most human beings can't, but, it's more Favreau's fault. Like, why did you put this person who can't do the basic job required of them on screen? I don't like bashing. I don't like bashing bad acting, but it's, it is very frustrating. I love just...
1: bashing bad acting. <laughs> so I
0: mean, as someone who yeah. has acted and who doesn't think they're very good at it, you know, people are sensitive about that. I don't I, I don't like being mean. It's, but it's just like more just from a technical filmmaking perspective. Uh, yeah. I are mean, sure. good people.
1: Definitely, and yeah, I like you said. It's in in scenes where it's like it's just action. Like obviously, she's very physically capable, and she sells the physicality of the role. But yeah, it's just you you can't really
0: read a line very well for me at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a single like like there are some line deliveries are better than others, but there's not a single one that I would qualify as good in her entire span of the show which is uh, over yeah um so th- th- there's a really cool in- there's interesting scenes kind of for lore reasons where they go in and we find all a whole bunch of uh you know test tubes full of deformed creatures um and dr Pershing talks about you know midichlorian in- or midichlorian injections and m count and I yeah I, I don't think he used the word midichlorians. I think he says M count but yeah. from what we understand I guess they're injecting they're injecting uh, Baby Yoda's blood into these creatures because of the midichlorians. Um, we don't have an answer and like there's speculation that it's to like some people are saying it's to create Snoke or it's to create P- Emperor Palpatine's new body in Rise of Skywalker my theory is that it's just it's um uh, Moff Gideon is trying to create Jedi's. Cause you know he's the guy who wants he's the, the the guy who wants you know super powered weapons. Yeah. Um, I don't know, either way, it's super creepy, and I'm, and even though I think midichlorians are, I don't hate midichlorians. I think they're just kind of useless. <laughs> but as as someone who stood by the prequels for so long, it's uh, it is very heartening to see the mention midichlorians. Like even though I don't even care about them, like <laughs> yeah, take that haters.
1: I had the exact same process where it's like chlorians they don't do anything for me they don't take away anything for me to me they're just like they're 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 a middleman you know like before we just thought oh you manipulate things through the force now they're like oh you manipulate manipulate midichlorians which manipulates things are right with blah blah i'm like i don't care you could throw in a next step what does it bother me for so but but like you i'm like it's certainly nothing to hate about it and because of how strong the hate has been like I probably give off the impression that I love Mini and so whenever he said in count and I'm like, ah, it's canon, you suckers. Just accept it.
0: Yeah. Um the, the one the one really cool moment of live action direction is when Amando Mando he flies out of the lava tube, blasts the two troopers, and then does like superhero landing in the foreground. Like that was cool. And then all of a sudden they go into a we they go into a chase and the direction becomes amazing. And I don't know how to explain this. Like, I don't, like, is this just the fact that, you know, it's all CGI and you can't shoot for coverage in CGI? You actually have to plan your shots out and make them look nice. You can't just, like, you know, half-ass it on the day. Like, Is that why the direction is so much better? At, or was this a different, you know, was, was it, you know, the, the special effects team, you know, creating the sequence? I don't know. But but this whole scene in the um, with the uh, speeders and the, the tank going through the canyon and the ties, it's amazing. Like it is really, really good, really well directed, really well put together. I can't explain it with how I think mediocre the filmmaking is in the rest of the episode. But you know, you know, maybe he got better. Maybe he's better with at CGI. Maybe someone else did it. If if some, if if he did it, um, good for him. Who knows? But. I love the sequence with the tanks and the, the shot of the speeders coming out and like going down the hill and the two crashing and going through the fire. Oh, um, so cool. The way he drags his foot on the ground when he gets to the bottom. And then, then the whole scene. <laughs> when he When he blasts the guy off the top as he's about to throw the grenade. Uh, there's a lot of just like awesome action moments. I love just the sound and the sound design of the turret as it moves around, there's something really visceral and fun about that.
1: Yeah. I, I kind of had the same feeling watching. I'm like, wait, this is really cool. I'm really liking all of this stylistically. It just, it feels divorced from the stuff before. And so again, I don't know if it's just like, he just, he, sh- he sees things differently. If it's just a CGI canvas or if I don't know, maybe he did have the effect supervisor with him kind of like uh, working through and planning shots or, or whatever. I don't know, you know, but However, for whatever reason, uh, I think that scene is fantastic. I the shot of the razor Crest like twirling uh, towards like the the lasers being fired at it is incredible. And yeah, that's a it's a really fun, satisfying final like action scene.
0: And the, the sound is out of the ties. and the, the final dogfight is kind of amazing. There are some of the coolest shots there. Um, like with the Razor Crest, is flying up towards the camera. It cuts its engines, kind of slowly spins around, and then blasts blasts off in the other direction. It's really cool. And then this wide shot, you know, of a tie coming in through the you know, from the bottom left uh, left corner, and the Razor Crest from the top right corner, and they're like twirling and shooting at each other as they come. It's there's some really awesome, like some of the coolest dogfight things I've seen in all of Star Wars happening, like in these final moments. Yeah. And we top it all off with some baby Yoda green vomit, which is just adorable. And uh, Carson Tiva shows back up <laughs> again. I love he's just the cop taking reports. And uh, Grief Carga is like super tight-lipped. I, I I like that. Just it's like some really subtle background world building. How just the 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 outer rim just doesn't trust the Republic, and how like you know they're ostensibly I guess allies, or at least you know there there's no uh there's no animosity between them, but he's still like, I'm not like, this is my world. I'll, I'll tolerate you, but I'm not going to help you, which I think is just a a cool dynamic, you know, in world building. Uh, then there's this conversation, uh, between Tiva and Cara Dune, where, uh, he kind of, we get her some of her history and he offers her, offers her, um, you know, a place, I guess, I guess in the, you know, the new Republic Rangers or something, he gives her a badge, but there's a line that really, Stood out to me is you know he says you yeah, know there's something going on out here. They won't believe it in the core worlds, but it's true. These aren't isolated incidents.
1: Disney is erasing the sequel trilogy from
0: canon. Yeah, and while he's saying that, a really slow, uh, very slow version of the March of the Resistance is playing. They they definitely seem to be you know pushing towards uh the sequels, and although like th- that could be explained as it's just Mo- Moff Muff Gideon, but I definitely think they're they're pushing towards the the uh, the first order yeah. also the line from uh the imperial officer to uh the you know grief cargo's mechanic and imp- uh informant which says you know you will be re- well rewarded in the new era like there's you know something is coming kind of thing
1: yeah. As the, the the whole there's something going on they don't believe it in the core world like first of all you're you're mimicking you know the force awakens you know the leia is not believed the resistance is basically her you know her thing that she controls because she's not like it's it's way too i don't know to me it's very much like we're aware of where this like what happens after our our where our time is set and we might as well kind of usher that in as well and i
0: think it's pretty cool yeah and I'm just happy to see March of the Resistance come mm. back. Like that's, I, got goosebumps. I think it's in my opinion, the, the, the most underrated theme from the sequel era. It's, it is the catchiest, funnest thing ever. Um, well, not here. Now it's like playing like a funeral dirge. But hey, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so he he gives her a badge, and watching it this time, it really and we with the ranges of the New Republic announcement, it really felt like. They're setting something up here, um, and more than just her appearance in the in the later episode. Like, it, like so, it felt like they were. This was, you know, this is what what the new show is gonna be. Her Carson Tiva, you know, going off doing things. Uh, but I don't think that's gonna happen now. So,
1: but maybe we could still keep Carson Tiva. <sighs> like,
0: if that was the if that was the plan, uh, I'm, I'm guessing Favreau is very frustrated right now.
1: We'll find somebody else from him. I, I would love it if this guy is like a, a recurring character in, in Rangers.
0: Yeah, like, I don't. is that show even going to happen? Like if was she going to be the lead? Like can you even have the show anymore? We'll see. Like they have, Like if they were going to cancel, they have plenty of other shows happening. It's like it'll be a huge loss. Uh, we'll see. Alright, um, so that was uh, The Siege. Did you have anything else to say about it?
1: No, I, I mean it might also be my least favorite of the series but i I don't actively dislike any episode in the series. So yeah, I enjoy it.
0: All right. So that was uh, the first half of season one. Uh, how would you rank uh, these first four episodes so far in season in our second episode? We'll do the whole season and then we're going to do the whole 16 episodes of the show. But for now, mm-hmm. it'll just be the first four of season two. How do you rank them?
1: Uh, so just first four, I go uh, number one, The Passenger, which is for me like a, a an easy pick. I just... Yeah, start to finish, I really it's like perfect. that. It's uh, perfect. Episode or number two would be the Marshal. Number three would be the Heiress, and number four would be the Siege.
0: Well, I don't even have to give my ranking. You did it for me. No, you're welcome. All right, so yeah, yeah So as a first half of a, half of a season, it's it's very solid. It's not amazing. I like, the second half of the season is pretty incredible. Uh, Here be like one really good episode, a really good climax, and then two pretty solid episodes. So, yeah, fun. Uh, but but yeah greater things are definitely to come for this for this season mm. so that was our review of the first half of season two of the mandalorian i hope you enjoyed it and if you did i'd like to ask you again to please uh, take a moment to give us a rating review on itunes um uh, you can f- like us on facebook at franchise fatigue podcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram as at franchised pod and you can find all our other episodes at franchisefatiguepodcast.com. and where can people follow you james you
1: can follow me over on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. Uh, it's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and you can also find the both of us along with uh, our other moderators and at a, at a lot of great discussion over at the Outer Rim, a Star Wars group.
0: I'm also on Letterboxd and there's Gabriel Green. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, And I have a YouTube channel called Greenery01, where I put out trailer mashups and movie-based music videos. Uh, next episode will be on the uh, final four episodes of Season 2. Um... And I'm very excited, and I hope we can talk about them uh, sooner than a month from now. Just fingers crossed. (laughs) So until next week, we will see you in a galaxy far, far away.